Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice, and I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin, and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to badlandsfood.com slash hometown and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash hometown. I always tell people that I graduated from the hardest school to get into that was in existence in the United States at that time. They had statistically more people who would apply for college and in a, certainly a much smaller pool of a class than Harvard or Yale or any of the big Ivy League schools. So it was the hardest to get into. And I graduated, <laughs> and then they're at what? The Ringling Brothers Cloud College. <laughs> you may remember Joe Lee from our conversation on the life and legacy of Eva Kaur, whose story Joe told in a graphic biography I picked up at the Holocaust Museum. The book is called Forgiveness, the story of Eva Kaur, survivor of the Auschwitz experiments. And I can honestly say that it's one of the most memorable and engaging things I've ever read. I learned at that time that Joe was also a professionally trained clown. And while that wouldn't have been an appropriate part of our conversation, I wanted to circle back at some point and learn more about that part of Joe's life. And that is what I'm doing today. I'm very curious because I've never met someone who used to work in the circus, but how did you get started in the circus? You know, I did a book called The History of Clowns for Beginners, and I have a little section there where I talk about being homesick and watching Captain Kangaroo as a little kid that used to be on every morning. He would occasionally have performers on there, and he had vaudeville performer 
so who was not a young man by any means, called the Banana Man. And so the Banana Man did this performance that was, it was incredible, where he would come out in a big coat and a suitcase, and he would reach into his coat and he'd bring out bunches of bananas and musical instruments and all of this. And he was like, wow. And so I realized he was a clown in the best sense of the word with this truly magical, transformative performance. And so I always had it in the back of my mind that, gee, that would be kind of a fun thing to try sometime. And what was funny was that years later, and this is after the circus and all that, and I put this in this book, I got a call from a professor in North Carolina who was teaching about performance and the history of performance and was actually an expert on the banana man. And he said to me, he said, now, I'll just ask this because I'm sure that this is the case, but this is exactly how you remember his, the banana man's performance. And I said, yeah. And he said, I have to tell you, you've gotten a lot of it wrong. And of course, I'm remembering something that I saw when I was six or seven or eight years old. But he asked if he could put that section of the book. He has a website devoted to the banana man. So if you look up, you have to be careful when you look up banana man on the web. But if you go to his website, you can actually see archival footage of the actual performance I saw. This is the wonder of internet these days. As Joe has suggested, if you look up Banana Man online, you're going to find men. And they're going to be holding bananas. But it might be something entirely different from what you're looking for. I've gone ahead and located that video to share some of the audio here. Now, in the garden of the captain's place, everybody's favorite. Thanks a lot. He has oranges and grapefruit and pineapples. He has a violin and a clarinet and a railroad train and he has bananas. Oh, does he Thanks have a lot, bananas? Thanks bananas a lot. and more bananas. That's why he's known as the Banana Man. If you add Captain Kangaroo as a search term on YouTube, you'll find footage of the show we're talking about. Joe's book, A History of Clowns for Beginners, is now out of print, but you can still find it at places like Amazon. I keep trying to find another publisher for it because I never thought the title was really good for the book because it should be Tricksters, Fools, and Clowns for Beginners. Because I, I was, as a little kid, I was really interested in King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, and I got fascinated with court jesters. And that also spurred that on because I thought I can't clunk around in armor, but hey, maybe I can be funny. And, and then just got interested in the whole history of this performance, which actually goes back. It may be older than even the old, the world's oldest profession. And it was a ritual and religious. And still these days, some of the clown gags that are done, if you see 
the old dead and alive where somebody, they, it's like rigor mortis has set in and they, and you push their legs down and their torso comes up and then you push the, and you go through all that. And some of it relates back to our earliest forms of religion. So I thought, this is a place to be. So I still do some performance. I, in fact, on April 1st, quite suitably, I will be doing my Jungle Joe's Flea Circus, where I explain that the flea, the flea circus is an old form of entertainment. And there are two basic types of flea circus, one that actually uses fleas and one that tries to convince you that they are using fleas. So I always let people guess which one it is that I do. But I still do some clowning too. So it's one of those things. It's just exaggerating your own personality. So how old were you when you were trained? Um, I was, I graduated from college. So I think I went to clown college. I was about 22 or 23. And then I worked for Ringling Brothers. They had a theme park for a while. And I was going to go from there to one of the big shows. But I went off instead on some smaller tent shows like King Brothers Cold Circus and Hoxie Brothers Circus and worked with them for a few years where you're working directly with the audience, which is the really fun part. Being so separated from an audience where they're sitting up in stadium seating and you're down in this ring, it's not as good as being able to walk into the audience and do whatever crazy stuff you do. So what's the difference between a stand-up comedian and a clown? Well, you know, there are some stand-up comedians that I would say are clowns. Pee Wee Herman is a great example of a clown. Probably Emo Phillips. And so a clown basically is you have developed from your own personality this easily identifiable character. So, you know, when you think in movies, people like the Marx Brothers, Laurel and Hardy, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, those, they are all clowns in the their truly classic sense. And your way of commenting on, like a stand-up comedian commenting on current affairs or something, is you work that into an act where you're, that isn't exactly what you're doing. Maybe you can make all kinds of political commentary as your character, but it isn't just saying this is, you're not talking about a president or something. You're talking in more general terms, but it's, you're easily identifiable, that personality. Yeah, the reason I asked is because I know a lot of stand-up comedians do have alternative personalities, even though most people don't aren't aware of it. For example, like Larry the Cable Guy, he actually has a college education. He's very well educated, but his onstage personality is nothing like what he is off stage. Yeah, and I would say that is certainly where clowning and stand-up comedy dovetail. But clowning these days has gotten a bad name. It's with movies like it. And there being fewer and fewer kind of clowns and makeup in evidence in the world these days. So people don't know clowning. That's why I always, I think if you watch something like Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and for me, it is almost like a clown Bible. <laughs> all the 
these incredible things that are traditional clowning, they just get put into the mix without, I think, Pee-wee even being aware of it. If you were a kid between the years 1986 to 1991, you'll probably remember Pee-wee Herman from the morning television show Pee-wee Herman's Playhouse. And now that Joe's made that connection for me, it occurs to me that Pee-wee may be the most successful clown act of the last 50 years. He was so popular at one point, the U.S. government commissioned him for a public service announcement to kids on the dangers of drug use. This is crack, rock cocaine. It isn't glamorous or cool or kid stuff. It's the most addictive kind of cocaine, and it can kill you. What's really bad is nobody knows how much it takes. So every time you use it, you risk dying. It isn't worth it. Ultimately, the only thing that slowed Pee-wee down was being arrested in a public theater after doing his own version of The Banana Man in 1991. Following that scandal, the Pee-wee character went dormant. But as recently as 2016, he was still making successful movies, like Pee-wee's Big Holiday, which has an impressive 80% score on Rotten Tomatoes. But then Duck Soup with the Marx Brothers is another great example of clowning. So there, it still exists. <laughs> and... I always wore a minimal makeup, just enough to express and to a character and to project it. I think it's a really good point that clowns now aren't looked at the same. And I wonder why that is. And I think your point on movies and shows looking at them a little differently definitely didn't do them justice. But in my mind, also, I have a true crime podcast, and I'm a true crime fan. So I'm very familiar with John Wayne Gacy, who did not do clowns justice at all. So that's definitely a thing that's out there as well. For those of you unfamiliar with John Wayne Gacy, he was a part-time clown in the Chicago area in the 1980s who also happened to be a prolific serial killer. His performing names were Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown. And by the time he was caught, Gacy had assaulted and murdered at least 33 young men and boys. The remains of 26 of these victims were found, buried in the crawl space under his home. True horror stories like this one, and fictional ones, like Stephen King's iconic novel, It, have forever changed the way the general public looks at clowns. You mentioned that you're going to be doing your flea circus. Now, do you go do that at a bar, or where do you do that? This is uh, down here in Bloomington. We have the Modus Festival, which is an international music and arts festival. But in the spring, there's one devoted primarily to school kids, which is the the Lotus Blossoms. And so there's a Lotus Blossoms family day. And so I'll be a performer at that. I perform 
numerous times with the lotus blossoms. And then there are things like the Wonder Lab, which is a science, kids' science museum down here. And I've done my flea circus there, and I do it for a bug fest, which is at Hilltop Gardens. So if Wabash ever wants a flea circus, I'm ready to work. Now, you mentioned that you went to Clown College. Now, was that your college experience, or did you go to a different college and then you went to Clown College? Oh, yeah. I am a graduate of IU with a BA in history. Oh, okay. So you got, you have a BA in history. Now, what was your parents' response when you told them you were going to clown school? <laughs> they were thinking, we hope he gets a job. <laughs> but I have to say, my father was actually, at the end of, at, during the Depression, right before World War II, he actually rode the rails as a hobo out to California, and he worked for a carnival that craft 20 big shows out there. And it was a, and of course, as a little kid, dad telling stories about that. And the carnival business is very different than circus, but they're both outdoor entertainment. And they cross paths quite often. I think he was a, a guy that he appreciated somebody who was, had a different way of entering their work life. And what was clown college? It was oh, two and a half months or so of training where we would learn everything from juggling to some stage magic and acrobatics. And then you would develop your own character from that. But of course, you can't really develop that character until you're working in front of an audience and you really get a sense of it. But it ended with a big show that we had worked on for weeks and weeks to put together that the circus management would come and watch. And the show was basically an audition for Ringling Brothers. And where is that? I, somewhere, I've got my diploma around here on the wall. <laughs> but it's... Uh, now, do you have your IU diploma on the wall too next to it? No. <laughs> Hey, there, I always tell people that this is one of these funny statistics that I graduated from the hardest school to get into that was in existence in the United States at that time. They had statistically more people who would apply for college than, and certainly a much smaller pool of a class than Harvard or Yale or any of the big Ivy League schools. So it was the hardest to get into. And I graduated from it. And then they're like, what? The Ringling Brothers Clown College. Are they still open? They closed it a few years ago. It's probably, gee, it must be, that the official school that was at their winter quarter, so it probably is 20 years ago, that they stopped. That, but then they still had a clown college that would go from town to town. They changed the whole way of clowning from getting people who already had certain skills. And that was always a premium as well. But they would get them on the show and then nurture them in that. But it was it's a different performance style than we really worked on. Do you have a favorite clown? 
I have to say that there are all kinds of great fool stories and that are associated with various court jesters and stuff that are great. There's a great British fool named Scogan, and Scogan got in trouble with the king. He went too far, and the king banished him on pain of death that he could never be on British soil again. So Scogan went off to France, and then he came back to England. And so the king heard about this. He was arrested. He was brought before the king. And the king said, I pronounced a death sentence if you ever step foot on British soil again. And here you are standing before me. And Scogan said, well, I'm not on British soil. And the king was flabbergasted. What? Scogan took off one of his shoes and dumped out French dirt. And so he's a hero, which is a great way to do that. But I think Otto Griebling, who is a lesser-known tramp clown, then he worked at the same time Emmett Kelly did. And Emmett Kelly was a great clown as well. But Otto was very given to a certain kind of absurdist, surrealist humor in ways where one of the gags that he would do is he would come out at the beginning of the show, and this was a ringling was still under canvas, and he would come out with a little plant in a little pot, and he would just quietly go around the entire circumference of the circus and say, plant for Mrs. Jones, plant for Mrs. Jones. And of course, he would, part of his costume during that was as a delivery man. He'd put on a delivery cap and jack. And then he would come out, he would go out. Nobody would claim the plant. He'd come out a little later, the plant was a little higher. He would come out and walk around. Nobody claimed the plant. And it continued throughout the entire show until when people were leaving the tent. Here he was with a huge plant and that still in its pot, six, seven feet long. And as people are leaving, he said, plant for Mrs. Jones, plant for Mrs. Jones. And so he is, it's a wonderful kind of continuing gag, but he would also do things like sit in the audience and knit a sweater. And the sweater, which was never finished, but reached 20 or 30 feet long, and he would just still do that. But I always think he really set a kind of tone. He died shortly before I got to Corn College, or I would have had the chance to meet him. But he was, by all report, incredibly gracious and giving human being. So it would have been nice to have actually met him. But there, there's so many great clowns. When people know that you are a clown, do they expect you to do funny things? That has happened. <laughs> and I always think, should I keep a few little magic things in my pocket or something? And occasionally I will have to prove that I have <laughs> some comedic ability. But I will say this, it may not have gotten me a lot of jobs outside performance or anything, but it certainly is one of those things that if it's on your resume, People might call you in for an interview just to see, who is this guy? Do you show up with those interviews with a clown nose? <laughs> no. In fact, my clown nose is pointed. It's And the, the powers that be at Ringling, they said, you can't have a pointed nose. It's a little pointed nose. And they said, kids are going to think you're a witch. In all the years I've been doing this, 
nobody has ever called me a witch. What they will do is say, you Pinocchio, or they, if they're a little more astute and a little older, they often wonder, are you Cyrano de Bergerac? <laughs> because I also often speak with a French accent. And there's a whole story behind that that's much too long to go into. But <laughs> That's funny. Among the people that work here, we have our own studio clown, as we will say. There's a guy in here named Nick who likes a little wow factor or shock factor. He probably went to clown school himself. Anytime we think that we're going to have a serious person in the studio, he'll show up in a dress or something just to throw us all off. I bet right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Especially in Europe, there's it's burgeoning in certain ways that, that 20, 30 years ago with this, what they called new vaudeville, that people like Bill Irwin, who was the first performer and a graduate of Ringling Brothers, who won a MacArthur Genius Award. And he has a show, I think he might be able to, yeah, you can certainly see clips from it called The Regarded Flight that was, he did off-Broadway and then he kept working on it, did it on Broadway, wonderful show. I just came across a female clown named Mookie Cornish, who was with Cirque du Soleil, and came across this clip of, it's a promotional clip from her show, and I think, she's doing some great stuff. I want to steal some of that stuff, which I think is the highest compliment you can get a performer. You steal it, but then you do it in your own way. Sure. Here, local to Wabash, nearby is Peru, and they always call Peru the circus capital of the world. I've never been there, but I know that there's a big circus venue there. Uh, there is. There were several circuses that wintered there, but they, and they started uh, 50, 60 years ago doing this youth circus, which I have to say, I've only seen it once and keep waiting to get back there. But the youth circus that they do in the summer, I think it's in end of June, beginning of July or something, and do it for a week. They have a special auditorium built for this. And you get to see things like um, the famous act the Wallendas did, their seven-person pyramid on the high wire, and they fell and to tragic consequences. But these kids are doing the seven-person pyramid on the wire. Now, they're all wearing safeties, <laughs> thank goodness. But I, it's, as far as I know, the only place you'll see that. As I mentioned, Peru, Indiana, the circus capital of the world, is about 20 minutes west of me. And in the near future, I'm going to visit the Peru Amateur Circus to focus more on the history of clowning and also on the circus more generally. I'd like to thank Joe again for joining me today. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.